Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Hey, Grandmaster Picel. Can you tell us the warning about Binge Mode's adult content? Well, the thing about Binge Mode is uh, Binge Mode contains (laughs) adult situations. Contains violence and sex. (sighs) Never mind. Here's Binge Mode. It's not too late for King Joffrey and Cersei and the court to ride west to safety. Surrender the Iron Throne. Better than seeing their heads mounted on the city gates. Stannis will execute them all. No, a king who runs will not be king for long. He's a Lannister. He'll stand and fight. Hello, and welcome to Binge Mode. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished cleaning his nails at the siege prep table like a fucking savage, it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. I don't want to marry the Frey girl. I don't want you to marry the Frey girl. Jason. Yes. It's not the fighting that kills most people. It's the starving. But we have a bountiful buffet of podcasts Mm. to present. Onions mm. and salt fish. We are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. We're deep diving one episode at a time. Spoiler warning for all of you, we will be going deep on details from the show and the books for this season and beyond. Guys, it's time to plan the defense of King's Landing. It's time to break down season two, episode eight, The Prince of Winterfell. Jason? Yes. If you find something you're not supposed to, the best mm-hmm. thing to do is pretend you've never seen it. <laughs> or so Ed would have us believe. Wise man. Yeah, he's very wise. But we have seen Prince of Winterfell. So let's refresh ourselves on these unusual times by taking a quick trip down our very own King's Road, offering a brief refresher on the key happenings from this eighth episode. In Winterfell, Yara rides from Deepwood Mott to criticize Theon for the butchering of the fake Stark Boys. A needless escalation and a waste of valuable hostages. She implores him to come home, but Theon is staying with his prize. Meister Lewin figures out that Osha is hiding the boys in the crypts. Lewin makes Osha promise never to tell Bran and Rickon about the farmer boys, but they're only three feet away, so they can totally hear. (laughs) North of the Wall, meanwhile, Corrin and Jon together again as wildling prisoners. Whoops! The half-hand, however... Hatches a plan, never one to miss an opportunity. John should go undercover to sell it. Corrin pretends to want to fight John. Meanwhile, north of the wall, Corrin and John back together again, this time as wildling prisoners. Whoops. The half hand, though, never one to miss an opportunity, hatches a plan. John should go undercover in Mance's camp to sell it. Corrin plants the seed by pretending to want to fight John. Meanwhile, over at the fist, Gren, Sam, and Ed, they're digging. Fun times, and they discover a cache of obsidian arrowheads and daggers and camera lingering (laughs) a horn wrapped in an ancient Night's Watch cloak. Hmm. Over in the Westerlands, King Rob learns that his mother cat let Jamie Lannister go. Oh, that's bad news, right? (laughs) Cat Stark let the most valuable prisoner and the most dangerous in Westeros go. Lord Karstark, whose sons... 
Jamie killed is rightfully furious. Rob has Cat put under guard and sends his fastest riders after Jamie. Roose Bolton tells Rob that his bastard is closing on Winterfell, and don't worry, uh, your brothers are too valuable for Theon to kill. Mm. Talisa comes to Rob's pavilion, and they finally get it in. Bam, chicka, bam, bam. <laughs> I don't want to marry the girl. <laughs> I don't want you to marry the girl. I don't want to marry the girl. In Heron Hall. No beautiful bridges, but... Tywin decides to strike out in the middle of the night so as not to give Rob's army any warning of his movements. Arya, believing that Tywin means to attack Rob, frantically searches for Jockin. She hacks the Death Wish system in order to get more wishes. How? She orders Jockin to kill himself or do as she asks, help her and her friends escape. Over at King's Landing, where things are getting tense, Tyrion is reading every book he can get his hands on in order to prepare for Stannis' looming assault on the city. Bronn drops some first-hand survival knowledge on Tyrion and Varys. Cersei and Tyrion dine together. She doesn't want Joffrey on the battlefield. Hmm. Kind of tough ask when he's the king. Tyrion knows that the city's defenders would lose heart if the king wasn't among them. Cersei goes into Tyrion's little black book and comes back with, Oh, look what I found, your secret whore! Only it's Roz, not Shay, that Cersei has discovered. Idiot. Blackwater Bay. Stanny's fleet. Just a couple days Stanny. out from King's Landing, guys. And that's just enough time to do some serious bonding. So he recounts the story of the Siege of Storm's End. Very helpful for viewers of the show. Yep. Very helpful. Setting up his gesture of making Davos his hand. And finally... Over in Karth, in Essos, not Quarth. Danny wants to go in search of her dragons. Jorah argues against it. He wants to leave the city as soon as he can. The magic, their magic is too strong, he's trying to tell her. And then he says, they are not your children, meaning the dragons. You did not grow them in your womb. Not the thing the mother of dragons wants to hear. No. All right, Jason. Yes. A man has patrol duty, mm -hmm. and a man has something else as well. Worries. Troubles. Angst. Troubles. Hey. Syria would not want us to be with our troubles. No, when you're with your troubles, more troubles for you. More troubles for you. But sometimes it's hard not to be. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it. Let's stick it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is fear. Fear can motivate. It can paralyze. It can inspire. It can destroy. It befalls great lords and small children and everyone in between. And in this episode, it befalls seemingly every character in some crucial way. And we are nothing if not consistent. So let's kick it off with uh, that fucking doofus, Theon. It's fantastic. You know, Theon and Yara have two strategies for dealing with fear. Theon is to pretend that he's not afraid, which ends uh, results in this kind of overcompensating, extreme, stupid violence. And Yara just kind of is not afraid to admit that she's afraid, but she takes it in stride. Uh, she is afraid for her brother. He does not kind of realize the the peril he's in. He sees the castle deep in Stark territory. He's uh, killed the two Stark boys as far as anyone's concerned, which would enrage everyone in the North. She tells him, are you the dumbest cunt alive? <laughs> A dumb cunt who killed the only two Starks in Winterfell? Do you know how valuable those boys are? Man. Every man in the North wants to see you hanged. Theon is, of course, not hearing this. He says, you know, if I hadn't, the, Northerner, the Northerners would think me weak. Uh, that's a really bad reason to 
murder the two heirs to Winterfell uh, <laughs> when you could do anything with them, trade them, you know, use them as a means of leaving the North. But, you know, Theon is a dumb dude. They're in an impasse. Her appeal to him is oddly touching, and she cares about him. It's um, really she sweet. Lets it, it's really, really sweet. Theon, you're my blood. We both loved our mother. We both endured our father. Come home. Don't die here alone. I don't intend to die. Don't die so far from the sea. But this mirrors, by the way, Cersei's moment at, at Tyrion's cradle, if mm -hmm. you remember that. That little... It kind of ended slightly differently. Yeah, did Yara yank on Theon's oh. tiny pink yeah. cock? Um, you know, they're practically strangers, but the familial instinct, the the need to preserve the legacy kicks in. She fears for her life, for his life. Um, he's the last-born surviving son of Balon Greyjoy, and she wants to protect him. And the irony is that um, what Theon wants, love, acceptance, a home, um, is kind of is the thing that's driving him down this path. Um, you know, he's Theon. He can't. He doesn't understand how his weakness is so obvious to everyone. It's painful to watch. It is. He's fi finally, in some way, someone is giving him exactly what he wants. Right. I care about you. Right. Isn't that all he wants? Look at what you've accomplished. You took Winterfell. Great. Now leave. Right. Let's go. Right. Come home. Yeah. What Don't are you die so far from the sea is actually yeah. like deeply sad yes. and moving. Come home. Be with the be with your yeah. family. Be where you belong. Right. All he's wanted is to feel like he belongs. Yeah. But because that's really all right. that that sentiment from her is propelled by insult and mockery and shame and the idea of his own failure. He can't. He can't hear it. He's he's really his own worst enemy in every way. Lot of lot of fear in Rob's life right now in the life of the man that Theon betrayed. <laughs> We have a lot of Rob stuff to break down here. Let's uh, let's go through some of it. So Rob, really having a heavy is the head that wears the crown moment in his life here. He is struggling deeply with what kind of ruler he wants to be, or really just what what a ruler should be. And when he's on this little this little Tinder stroll with Talisa, he shares this like really yeah. beautiful, insightful story about what Ned taught him. I mean, think about this like. We don't get to see Ned and Rob together, really, right. right? Like, there's very, very little for us as viewers of this show to understand what the relationship between them was. What did Ned teach him? Well, here's a moment where we can understand this. Rob says to to Talisa after she she observes that she really has has been able to pick up on how well loved Ned was by his men, by the Northmen, and Rob says. He once told me being a lord is like being a father, except you have thousands of children and you worry about all of them. He told me he woke with fear in the morning and went to bed with fear in the night. I didn't believe him. I asked him, how can a man be brave if he's afraid? That is the only time a man can be brave, he told me. There are so many things about that that are, yeah. that are amazing. This is it's, it's like really, truly one of the coolest things that Game of Thrones as a story does. It takes a common idea and it really inverts it. It flips it on, it on its head. Like we are programmed to think that fear is bad, that fear makes people make hasty or foolish decisions or paralyzes them into really costly inaction. But in this moment when Rob is explaining this, it's Lisa and sharing we don't usually think that Ned has wisdom to share, but this is right. wisdom. It really is. It forces us to think how fear can be good and useful and, and even essential. And, and that's just really awesome. Yeah. It's also the, the cool thing about it is it, 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 it highlights a difference between Ned and Tywin in a way. Ned is sincere about his responsibilities of a lord. Um, whereas Tywin, 
he also acknowledges those responsibilities. He understands them quite well, but he also understands that um, you can use them or the image of that responsibility as a pose at times. Right now, the, the fear driving Rob is the Lannister threat, and why not? I mean, he's involved in a war. Uh, you think I'm fighting this war so they'll sing songs about me, he says to her. I want to go home. I want the men following me to go home. And that's the fear talking, and that's what his father told him. Fear, if you use it correctly, can make you careful, and your men will sense that you care about their lives. Right. Um, then why don't you, she says, because we'll never be safe until the Lannisters are defeated, uh, which is why Kat's betrayal is so brutal. Brutal. And, you know, when he walks into the tenant Caesar, she gives him that look like, did I do something bad? <laughs> um, hey, baby. And now he has something new to fear. And he should have been wise to this earlier, right. but it's his own men. Yes. Um, Lord Karstark has been agitating for a while about his revenge, my revenge. You cannot keep me from my revenge. He killed two of my sons. I would carve out my heart and offer it to the father if he would let my son step out of the grave and into a prison cell. He's he so Kat. offended by the idea that yes. she just gave Jamie away for people for and, people who are alive. And he should be. Right. Uh, and Rob, she, the the signs of this were all around. Rob should not have gone to the crag on his own. Um, Rob tells Cat, Jamie Lannister has played you for a fool. You've weakened our position. You've brought discord into our camp, and you did it all behind my back. All true. All true. So harsh. All <laughs> so very, harsh. Very true. And when Talisa enters Rob's tent, and oh, she wants to know how Rob is. You know, she wants to know how he's feeling. How am I? I've had to arrest my mother. The Lannisters have my sister. The man I consider my closest friend has seized my home and my brothers. Uh, he's afraid, you know, the pressure is getting to him and the person he thought he could rely on as a, as a kind of pillar of wisdom in these moments uh, betrayed him in a brutal, brutal, brutal way. Fucked up his um, game. For his family, you know, for the campaign, he's lost Jamie. Uh, he's just, he's not ready to deal with all this stuff. That You know, that's not the kind of king I want to be, he says. She asked him, what kind of king do you want to be? I don't know, the good kind. Such a net answer. It's a very net answer. And, you know, people have been saying to him, that, you know, Roos particularly and Lord Karstark, we've got too many prisoners. Right. You know, too many. We got to drag these guys around. They got to eat. You got to feed these guys. Right. You know? He, he's ve he's afraid of a lot. He's, yeah. he's afraid of, of the Lannisters. He's afraid of not getting his family back. He's afraid of, of letting his men down. He's afraid primarily of the fact that he's he it's – He's out of his depths. He's, He's afraid depth. that he doesn't actually know how to be. A, why, why is his answer, I don't know the good kind? Because exactly. he doesn't actually know well, what the right seen, answer is. Ned, Ned Stark would have said, no, you, we can't just torture the prison. We can't kill them. In the field, now, today, Rob sees it's not that easy. Right. You know, the, what, what do I do with this? My right. men are complaining. And, you know, the second they turn on me, uh, we're lost. Right. And he doesn't really know how afraid he should be uh, when he says, I don't want to marry the Frey girl. Uh, and she says, I don't want you to marry him, but you need that bridge. You need it. I, I hope it's bridge. a very beautiful bridge. No one's saying that you have to marry Talisa. I'm just putting that out there for Rob. You know, she's from Volantis. No one really knows who she is. She's a nerd. You know, it's like, come on. I'm honorable just... fool. Yeah. Just like his father, an yeah. honorable fool. Yep. Not an honorable fool. Tywin Lannister. Tywin is trying to stay level-headed and focused right. on the factors that are everywhere, not yeah. just the one that is right in front of him. And so when everyone else, including Kevin with an A, is fearing for the folks in King's Landing and pleading, pleading with Tywin, get hey. them out of there, get Joffrey out of there, get Cersei out of there, 
Tywin knows that it's it's smarter to be fearful of public perception than the threat Especially of bodily right harm. Now. He says, surrender the Iron Throne. And what does Kevin, Kevin McNay say? Better than seeing their heads mounted on the city gates, Stannis will execute them all. And Tywin, always one, always a font of wisdom, yeah. a king who runs will not be king for long. He's a Lannister. He'll stand and fight. AKA, you cannot rule effectively or at all if you're afraid. Well, Once you people appear, think you're, if right. you appear to be afraid. Well, and it's what it's what Zaro said That's right. to Danny. It's That's about right. perception. Perception is reality, yeah. right? We hear this over and over again from even 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 Varys when he was explaining power to Tyrion. Power resides right. where men believe it resides, That's and right. if you allow them even for a second to believe that it resides elsewhere, you're fucked. You've right. already lost. Why is the throne important? It's a chair. It's important because it em- it embodies the idea of power in people's minds. It's a symbol symbol. of power. And if you're sitting in it, you're the king. Exactly. And Tywin wants his family to be sitting in it. And he is also very carefully assessing his foes. So he offers this really interesting assessment of Rob. He says, he's a boy and he's never lost a battle. He'll risk anything at any time because he doesn't know enough to be afraid. This is a really interesting idea. We don't think of Tywin as being somebody who experiences fear or then by extension really validates fear in other people. He's smart enough to know that fear can be an impulse that rules you, but he he actually doesn't he doesn't understand Rob. Like we're giving him a lot of credit here for saying, all right, it's, he's finally taking Rob seriously. He's not just dismissing him as a green boy, right. but he we just went through ten things that Rob's afraid of and yeah. ten things that are fucking him up. Tywin's not quite there yet. He still doesn't really know his enemy. You know, he knows that there's a lot of confidence building in Rob over the battles that he's won, but he's really discounting Kevin's observations about the Winterfell factor and and what that might be doing to Rob's larger game here. Tyrion and Cersei. You know, Tyrion usually looks to Bronn for that kind of courage under fire. Yes. You know, the guy he's got in his foxhole who's been in the foxhole for years and years and years. And um, But even Bronn is, is absolutely afraid, and you can tell. I mean, he tells that story about um, starvation, the thing that they that they were not preparing for. And right. he says, I'd swap all your books for a few archers. Um, he paints a bleak picture of the future. See, it's not the fighting that kills most people. It's the starving. Food's worth more than gold. Things get bad enough, the poor start eating each other. A future to fear. And you've already seen this, the rumblings of this and the riot in the streets. Uh, the, the reach lords have cut off the supplies to King's Landing. The, the, the common people are hungry. At what point do they say... Well, I know the Lannisters have food. Cersei, meanwhile, who, you know, she loves her children and she's afraid for Joffrey. Um, as big of a fuckwad sadist as he is, <laughs> she doesn't want him to fight. She thinks Tyrion is trying to get him killed, which uh, Tyrion is not quite that ruthless. That's a Tywin thing. Tywin would say, well, I like I like the cut of the jib of this, this young man, Tommen. Looks very controllable to me. Uh, why don't you get in the van, Joffrey? Uh, sorry, the vanguard, not the van. Um, his 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 place is not on the battlefield, she tells him. <laughs> Tyrion, quickly, it's not on the throne either, which is smart. <laughs> Cersei, do you think I'm an idiot? No, I'd say you possess above average intelligence. <laughs> so, so good. <laughs> Cersei says, you shipped off my only daughter, and now you want to send my eldest son off to the battlefield to die. That's not what Tyrion wants. Tyrion understands, listen, the defenders of this city are going to be like, where's the king? Right. Um the king needs to be there or else they will think, well, the king wants to live. 
I want to live. I want to be where the king is, right. wherever he is, not here. Um, so how does Cersei cope with her own fear? By trying to get others to to see it through her eyes, to be afraid like her. Uh, she says, do you know why Varys is so dangerous? And Tyrion says, because he has thousands of spies <laughs> in his employ, because he knows everything we do before we do it. Cersei says, Good answers. because he doesn't have a cock. She can't, con- <laughs> you, know, you can't, how can you uh, understand what a person's going to do if they don't have a cock? Tyrion <laughs> says, neither do you, Cersei. Then perhaps I'm dangerous too. And she is, and believe me, Tyrion knows it. Um, Tyrion says, why are you, then why are you smiling? Because I'm happy. Why are you happy? Because I have your little whore. And she's been waiting to spring this. She just looks like she has taken a sip of the <laughs> sweetest wine, a bite of the she most succulent like, lamprey pie. She's been waiting for this. Uh, and Tyrion looks shook. You know, he's trying to mask it. He tries to play it off. Right. You know, he tries to, but he can't, is. Can't let her see the fear. He is, and by the way, like, this is great acting. Yes. He is absolutely. Uh, Terrified, but Cersei's power trip helps her see that actually she has him shook. You've forgotten the most important thing about whores. You don't buy them; you only rent them. And and he tries to play it off again. And you're usually a better liar, baby brother. But of course, she has the wrong whore, and it's like a fantastic moment. So good. The the level of how fucked up this is is supreme. And so he goes to. Hey guys, just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge mode is brought to you by Direct TV now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. To her, partially to keep the facade up so that she doesn't know that she has the wrong person, but also because he is genuinely horrified by how low she's willing to stoop, he says, and this is an iconic moment, I will hurt you for this. A day will come when you think you are safe and happy and your joy will turn to ashes in your mouth. Boom. And you will know the debt is paid. We will hear this brought up yes. later at the trial. We won't go into too many spoilery details about that now, but this is a crucial moment that will have serious repercussions for a lot of people. Uh, Tyrion, of course, is actually afraid. Uh, as soon as he leaves there, he practically sprints on his little legs all the way back to the to to Shay. Uh and it's interesting that Shay, here's the thing about Shay that makes her, that amps up the danger. She has no idea the danger she's in. Right. She's like, oh, you know, I'll, I'll kill them. I'll kill them all and carve off their faces and, you know, whatever, whatever you want. Um, later, he, Tyrion has a, has a really meaningful exchange with Varys about, about playing the game. Varys says, you enjoy the game. Tyrion says, I do. Last thing I expected. No, it wasn't. Come on. <laughs> Varys, and you play it well. And Tyrion says, I'd like to keep playing it. If Stannis breaches the gates, the game is over. He says that Jaime was the youngest Kingsguard in history. Cersei was the queen at 19. Meanwhile, back at Castle Rock, Tyrion was a young imp the janitor, cleaning out the drains <laughs> and cisterns. Keeping those pipes flowing. That's right. This is his first... It, it, the thing you have to understand about Tyrion, yes, he's rich. Yes, he's learned. Uh, the entire realm thinks he's something he's not. And this is his first first real taste of respect in other people's eyes. First real taste of power. And not just power, but power uh, that people understand as power. Right. Other people look at him and go, that... Right. It's real real responsibility yeah. and um, visibility. Uh, but even Tyrion, as much as we love him, can't fear everything at once. Varys tells him that he heard a song from Karth. Um, 
Danny's alive. She's got dragons. Tyrion's response to the girl at the edge of the world is the least of our problems. She has three dragons, but even if what they say is true, it'll be years before she's fully grown. Then there'll be nowhere to hide. Varys. Varys knows. He understands. Varys always knows. Unlike John, who knows nothing. <laughs> and John, John could stand to, to learn some of the lessons that these other folks are learning about Rob and how uh, about love and how dangerous it is. John and the Half Hand, fellow prisoners of the Lord of Bones. John admits to the half hand that he couldn't kill Egret because he was afraid. He says it, you know, I had the sword to her neck, I just couldn't. And the half hand tells John what happened that the others who weren't afraid to go hunting and to do what needed to be done died to try to find him. And he says to John, he's hoping to turn this fear into motivation, right? See that it wasn't for nothing. This makes John feel like a guilty coward as yeah. it should and that's a new sensation for him like he's always been bold frankly probably too bold and this is different he's a little piece of putty right now in in half a hand you know and then Corin says tells john mance is going to march on the wall he has a lot of intel at this point yeah. already right so he knows, he, knows. he this is an informed plan on his part. He's not just guessing. He says when that happens, when Mance marches on the wall, one brother inside his army would be worth a thousand fighting against him. John, they'll never trust me, right? That's what he says. He's already afraid that he can't do it. He hasn't even started to do it. He hasn't even thought about doing it. And already he's being, he's ruled by his fear. But the half hand says, they might if you do what needs to be done, which is basically akin to saying, if you're not afraid to commit fully to the bit, you can do this. And then he plants the first seed by yep. loudly calling John a traitor, making a big stink so that everyone notices, and then pushing John down a hill. Donnie Brasno. <laughs> Jamie and Brienne. Brienne isn't afraid. She's never really afraid. That's the interesting thing about Brienne. But Jamie wants to manipulate her into thinking she is, thereby making her fearful. He proposes a duel. There are three men in the kingdoms who might have a chance against me, and you're not one of them. He's keep, this is his uh, this is his strategy. You know, keep can I goad her into fighting me, and I know I can beat her. She says, "Great line. All my life, men like you have sneered at me. All my life, I've knocked men like you into the dust." Brienne refuses. Smart, love it. Like Rob, she knows she doesn't need to give in to his terms. Doesn't need to act out of some uh, wounded sense of honor that actually makes you weaker. Um, I took you for a fighter, a man, oh, pardon, a woman of honor. Was I wrong? <laughs> afraid. Uh, and Jamie is also now uh, conf confronting that lingering question that he's constantly trying to push away. What do people think about me, the Kingslayer? He told Tywin in season one like he didn't care. Uh, but Tywin smartly replied that that's just what Jamie wants people to think. And it's very true. We'll find this out later in, in the great scene um, that uh, Jamie and Brienne have in the hot tub. <laughs> the hot tub, hot tub confessions. Um, so how do we react to this? Uh, how do we react to this, this exchange? Um, he says, I, I didn't mean to offend you, my lady. Forgive me. Your crimes are past forgiveness, Kingslayer. Why do you hate me so much? Have I ever harmed you? You've harmed others, those you've sworn to protect, the weak, the innocent. You're as boring as you are ugly. <laughs> uh, he's making jokes, but he's afraid he's afraid of the image that he has that follows him. And it's and it's interesting about Brienne, uh, who wants to be this true knight, who aspires more than anything to be this true knight, to see, to meet finally the truest knight in the realm who's actually a fraud. Danny is afraid of something else, right? She is afraid of losing her children. And Jorah 
her manservant, is whoa, 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 afraid that she doesn't actually know what the word children means. It's like you're not your dog is not your child. Jora says we cannot stay here. Like he's just like we gotta let's go. fucking go. He is really afraid, though, of the magic that they can't control, what the warlocks are doing, what Pyatt is doing. Danny's not because she kind of has a little bit of like a hero complex thing building it by this point. She says, you know, what about my magic, right? right. So here's their exchange. Jorah says, if you enter that place, you will never leave again. His magic is strong. And Danny says, and what of my magic? You saw me step into the fire. You saw the witch burn. What did the flames do to it's me? A good, it's a good... Do you remember? Yeah. She's not fearful of facing a foe. She's actually one of the few characters in this episode who isn't really being ruled by fear. She's being motivated by beating that fear, by overcoming it. She's growing and emerging as a leader and a fighter. And it's kind of cool to see. Jason? Yes. Gods are not mocked. Hey, this is no joking thing. Real wars are being fought. Real costs are being incurred, and we have discussed many times this season. But this also isn't the first battle that has sparked fear in these people's lives. Two of season two's central figures experienced a deep fear once before during Robert's Rebellion. And now they're back. They're back on the battle lines. So before they actually strike King's Landing, it's important for us to all really understand their shared history and their their history in general. So let's assemble the conclave, head to the Citadel, learn everything we need to know about the origin of the Onion Knight and the Siege of Storm's End. So when Robert's Rebellion broke out, Robert and Ned were in the Vale. That's when uh, the Mad King called for them, called for John Aaron to send them their heads to King's Landing, and he refused. First order of business then for Robert and Ned was go home, call the banners. Robert slips away during the Battle of Gulltown, lands in the Stormlands. Ned goes back to to Winterfell. Uh, First thing he does back in the Stormlands, calls the banners. Some of them answered the call. Others remained uh, loyal to the Targaryen regime. It's a tough ask if you think about it. No matter what you're doing, you're committing treason to someone. Uh, So, you know, it was very tough. So the very first order of business for Robert, uh, I have to deal with these treasonous lords. Three of them, Granderson, Catherine, and Fell. This, I think you could argue, is Robert's greatest battlefield triumph. Second to killing Rhaegar Targaryen in single battle. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I was strong. Uh, So he defeats these three lords uh, in one day because they, they, you know, the the war had just popped off. They were not in contact with each other. He's able to take them in turn. Now he turns his attentions to the west. He's going to march on the Reach, where the the Reach lords have have uh, assembled an army and are marching on him. He's got to leave Stormlands with someone. He leaves Storm's End, the family seat, with his little brother standing. And he leaves him with, you know, a, a, not a, a overwhelming garrison, but enough to hold the castle. It's not like you need that much. It's one of the most legendary castles in the realm. After the Battle of Ashford, which is Robert's next battle, um, he's pushed away from the Stormlands. It's a minor defeat. So he kind of falls back towards where Ned is coming down from the north so they can join forces together. Lord Mace Tyrell, 
not the doddering old man that we know now, the younger, <laughs> leaner guy. He was still really stupid, but he was younger. Um, he saw an opening. Oh, wow. Storm's end. Let's get some booty. Let's let's sack this castle. So he marches in and lays siege to Storm's end, where Stannis is. And this siege would stretch on and on and on for a year. Good news, though, for Stannis, there's probably no better castle in Westeros to be trapped in. I guess the Eyrie, they say, is impregnable, but that's mostly a function of the fact that it's at the top of a mountain, and it's the only way to get to it is to pass two kind of smaller castles on the way up. The thing is, uh, the Eyrie is, like, super small. The only way to resupply it is by this pulley rope system that sucks, and when the winter comes, you have to leave. You just can't say that. The Cashley Rock is is just as imposing, has also never been taken by siege. Um, supposedly, the Targaryens thought that it was possible that it could have with, withstood Dragonfire. Whatever. Point is, Storm's End. It's dope. Legend has it that Bran the Builder Stark um, raised Storm's End, weaving powerful wards and spells into the walls to protect it from magical attack. Uh, the castle is located on Duran's Point, overlooking Shipbreaker Bay, so it's got its back to the ocean. And this thing is gigantic. It's got a massive curtain wall, 100 feet high, 40 feet thick at the seaward side. That's the thinnest side, because who's going to attack from the sea, right? 80 feet thick. 80 feet, th 100 feet tall and 80 foot thick wall on the landward side. This encloses uh, its iconic circular tower keep. So imagine, they've described it in the books as a massive mailed fist uh, that's kind of jutting out behind this wall into the sky. Uh, when fully provisioned, this castle can hold out for years and years and years. But, uh, they, they say indefinitely, but let's just say years. Um, unfortunately, the, the war broke out fast. No one was expecting this. So when Stannis took it, took the castle, it just was not, um, it, you know, it was partially provisioned. Good news. Tunnels leading down from the castle lead to a cavern underneath the cliffs, and by this method, the uh, castle can be resupplied by sea. Enter Davos Seaworth, world-famous smuggler. He comes in towards the end of the siege. Stannis is already, they've been eating rats, they've been eating horses. They had taken um, a few of his men he had discovered were, were conspiring to sneak out. They just couldn't take it anymore. So Stannis had them taken prisoner. He was going to execute them, but the maester convinced him, "Hey, uh, it may come to the, it may come to eating people at some <laughs> point. Let's not kill these guys just yet." That's how bad it was. So Davos comes in with his with his ship painted all black, black sail, black hull, black oars, sailing at night, carrying onions and salt fish. He slipped past the the patrols of packs of red wine. And that meek cargo kept Storm's End going. Stannis Baratheon repaid uh, his debt to Davos by raising him to nobility, created out of nothing, essentially, an entire noble house. He bequeathed him a few lands out there around Dragonstone. And the cool thing about becoming raised to a lord is you get to pick your sigil. He thought, and Davos was like, hey, onions. Right. All right. Let's head to the Sept. Let's bathe in the light of the Seven and share seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode, Lightning Round Style. What's number one? Tyrion, study session. <laughs> Siege study session. Snorting that Adderall. He pulls a huge book towards him and he says, because Bronn asks him what he's reading, The Great Sieges of Westeros by Archmeister Shebelthen. Shebelthesh, and Bronn, said, Bronn goes, 
Shivaltish. <laughs> this is really, really great. Number two. When Sam and Ed and Gren are digging latrine pits and they're talking about where John might be, and Sam, always optimistic, you know, he says, John's probably not dead because he has a Valerian steel sword. And Ed says, yes. so did his father. Now, this is actually a very upsetting thing to hear and really think is. about because it's a very good, it comes off as like a little offhand retort, but it's right. actually a really good reminder as we are about to enter the Great War in season seven and eight. The weapon does not matter as much as the man wielding it or flying on it. We've spent a lot of time, all of us, talking about where are all the Valerian steel swords or daggers? Yeah. Where, where, who has obsidian? Who has an arrowhead? Who has a dagger? Who has a dragon? Who has something that could take out a White Walker? Sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes it's not enough. Number three. At the Fist of the First Men, uh, Gren and Ed and Sam talking about things. Uh, Ed with a with a great insight. Great rangers never live a long time. Shit ones neither. It's them in the middle that lasts a long time. So good. He's right. Yeah, he's right. Number four, Tyrion and Varys just chatting about God, you know, light stuff. And Tyrion says, this is- the Lord of Light wants his enemies burned. The drowned God wants them drowned. Why are all the gods such vicious cunts? Great question. Where's the god of tits and wine? Somewhere in the east. Uh, one would <laughs> we should sail there immediately. It's like it's it's funny. It, it is obviously just a great line, but it's also like, well, what if religion were an exciting unifying force for these characters instead of a divisive one that always led them to war? Jamie's constant roast of Brienne yeah. uh, is one of my favorite things about these episodes. He says to her, "Have you known many men? I suppose not. Women, horses." <laughs> What an asshole. Oh, my God. So good, though. Number six, our homies up at the fist. Okay. Ed, Gren, Sam. They're digging those latrine pits. They're talking about how miserable they are. And their shovel hits something. A stone covered in markings. So rare out here to find a stone under the snow. (laughs) Who could have known that as my shovel hits a stone that it would be the stone? Sorry. You're right. Sam. Handwriting on it. Sam says... (laughs) First man made these marks, right? right? He's excited. He's so it's, excited. It's a discovery. A it's an adventure. <laughs> and he also says the, the bundle that they dig up underneath the stone, yeah. he says it's a knight's watch cloak. Gren notes that it must have been there for a long time. Right. They open it. What is inside? Obsidian daggers, obsidian arrowheads, and a horn. And Jason, we're gonna we're not gonna go deep here. We gotta keep it fast. We're gonna talk about this more in the coming episodes and seasons, but I just have to ask quickly. Is this the Horn of Winter? Horn of Winter! <laughs> Shouts to Joraman. I don't know. You know, it's a good question. Um, the camera lingers on it. It stood it out It lingers to me. on it, and I love the idea. This is very like uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I love the idea of the, the Horn of Winter, the legendary Horn of Winter, being a very humble horn. Yes. Not banded in Valerian steel with uh, hieroglyphs and things. No, just like a... Just kind of a busted horn. ass. Just yeah. a busted just a horn. Yeah. I don't know, man. Um, I just want Sam to save everything. Fun aside, when Talisa and Rob are, are telling stories and she's telling him about her homeland, uh, she tells a story about um, how a slave pushed her away in order to get to a, a person who had drowned. And then she describes CPR in, in some detail. <laughs> Apparently, CPR was invented in Volantis by an anonymous slave. You heard it from Talisa. She's the best, isn't she? All right, well, 
it's hard to move on, but yeah. sometimes you have to head out before sure. you get to sample the sour cherries, as Hot Pie, Hot Pie has learned. It's very upsetting. <laughs> but each episode, we're going to honor the person who played the game, advanced his or her cause in, in the coolest or most interesting or most tangible yes. way. And this week, we haven't talked about this person much yet in this episode. The winner of our champion's purse is... Aria. And... We did not talk about Arya up in the pointy end, but notably, fear is really an important variable in her episode eight yeah. arc too because she fucked up majorly and she knows it. Yeah. She is trying to rush Jockin into using that final kill on Tywin, but Tywin's already left and Jockin's like, a man will not be rushed, you know? And in her frustration, Arya turns the table. She names Jockin as the final she kill. She hacks the system. And he's afraid. He is afraid in a way that, yes. in a way that is surprising for an assassin that's powerful and that speaks really to the power of the many-faced god or the power that Jockin thinks that just naming somebody in this circumstance carries. Because yeah. she says, I'll unname you if you help me and my friends escape. And he's so afraid of the power of her naming him that he's willing to actually yep. go beyond what was owed, right? To kill yep. more men than were promised. Because he says, getting you guys out of here, that's not one kill, that's many. And she's yeah. like, cool, great. Glad yeah, we're on the it. same page here. <laughs> <laughs> and then even when they leave, right, Gendry looks kind of afraid. He's like, right. what did he say about the guards? Well, we have we have to trust him. Arya says, trust him? And then Arya actually calls him out on being afraid. She says, shut up, stay here if right. you're afraid. And Hoppy's afraid. He's afraid of missing out on that new pie that he was baking. I love that moment when they walk up to the first guard and they're not sure if he's dead or if he's alive because he's pinned to the wall and then they see that he is dead. That's a, such a cool moment. Shocking, man. What, man! What a dude. All right, guys. You know we would die for you. We'll never abandon you. We've right. sworn to protect you, to serve we hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you'll join us again next time when we will be discussing a truly iconic and beloved television achievement. That's right. Season 2, Episode 9, Blackwater. Until then, remember, you, on the other hand, are as big a fool as every other man. That little worm between your legs does half your thinking. It's not that little. <laughs> In the north, we call it wolf style, Talisa. <laughs> I don't want to marry the girl.